electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders conducted in front of live audiences around the country. I'm Karen Stern, a producer on the CNBC Events team. And today we've got Bobby Kodak, CEO of Activision Blizzard. He joined us at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles last November, where he was interviewed on stage by my colleague, Becky Quick. And Becky's here in the studio with me today. Hey, Becky. Hi, it's good to see you. So, Becky, you've interviewed Bobby Kodak several times before on CNBC. Why did we invite him to our Evolve conference, which is really focused on companies that are adapting to change in their respective industries? Um, Bobby Kodak is, is kind of an amazing guy. If you look back at what he's done, he's a CEO who has been in the technology industry for more than 30 years. And when you look at technology and entertainment, those CEOs tend to not last very long. So if you try and figure it out like in terms of dog years, he's been around a couple hundred years. It's it's an amazing feat. And you know everybody knows Activision, knows the products that they've come up with. Activision Blizzard, it's known for games like Guitar Hero, Candy Crush, Call of Duty. They have all of these amazing franchises that they kind of recreate year after year and win tons of loyal fans who continue to show up and use these games. So sitting down with him is pretty interesting. Yeah, and the industry's changed so much too. 30 years ago, you had to buy a console specifically for video games. Today, if you have a smartphone, you can be a gamer. There are just so many more ways to access this product. They're actually competing right now with television and the movie industry. I mean, that's who they're competing with for your time. The graphics behind it have gotten so much better. The way you share and you're interactive makes it much more akin to the internet and social media and things that are there. So it, it, it used to be these compartmentalized kind of places where they were only competing with each other, other video game companies along those lines for kind of geeky guys who were doing this. But it's a big, broad world. And they're going head-to-head with a player like a Disney or a Netflix these days. Right. And a growing part of the industry is now live streaming. So people broadcasting themselves playing or else watching other people play. Uh, not to mention esports leagues where teams of players actually compete face-to-face in front of thousands of fans. That's the crazy thing to me, to think about this, where you have stadiums of people who are filling up to watch other people play video games. If you would have told me that that would be the case five years ago, ten years ago, I would have laughed at you. I would have thought you were nuts. But he's making it happen, and it's a it's a big part of the future for this company. I, I sat down with Kodak at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles in front of a live audience. Here's, here's our conversation. Okay, if you guys don't know Bobby, you may not realize his story. He um, bought Activision back in 1990 and has been CEO since 1991. If you count that out, that's 28 years as the CEO of a technology and video game company. And in my view, being a CEO in technology and video games, that's kind of like dog years because things are changing so quickly. So by my math, you've been the CEO for 196 dog years. Um, what and I've been eating Alpo for like 50 of them. <laughs> what have you done to evolve over the last two centuries in dog years? So um, 
There was a moment in time where we had a very large shareholder that was a French company, and Vivendi. it was Vivendi. It was my first uh, board meeting there, and they asked the same question: What is it that you've done to be able to sustain and grow the business for this long period of time that uh, the other video game companies have been unable to do? And um, the the chairman of the company was a terrifically charismatic guy, and he said. Uh, you know, Bobby, uh, you can uh, please for me to tell those uh, board members uh, how you make this success over this uh, long time. So I said, well, uh, you know, it's not that complicated. We are ruthless prioritizers of opportunity. We don't get distracted. We know what our business is. We find the best talent, and we make sure that we keep our talent focused and not distracted. And we really do a great job of prioritization. And, you know, that's sort of the secret to our success. And I couldn't say more than that. I left the room, and um, I overheard him saying, this Bobby Kotick is going to fuck us. He's going to fuck us. He's going to fuck us. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, this is my first board meeting, and this is horrible. And um, this is my new partner. So I took him aside and I said, um, uh, Jean-René, I, I heard you, and it's really disappointing that this is how you think of me at our first board meeting. And he said, but uh, Bobby, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And I said, well, I heard you say, this is Bobby Kotick, he's going to fuck us, he's going to fuck us. And he started laughing. He said, no, Bobby, what I was telling them is we admire your focus. We admire your focus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's... Probably the best answer to how we've been successful over this 28 years is the maniacal focus. And say that very carefully and very slowly. Maniacal focus. Um, all right, so Bobby bought Activision back in 1990. He and a, just a few other shareholders who bought into this for $440,000. The company now has a market capitalization of over $40 billion. So $440,000 to $400 billion. Was that part of your plan when you started? Uh, definitely not. Um, I, you know, I don't think I really spent a lot of time thinking about anything other than how we were going to make great games and figure out how to get the biggest audiences to actually play them. And you know, we're, we're always mindful of our responsibilities to our stakeholders, our gamers, our shareholders, but you know, I don't think I really spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I think today, when you realize the scale and the opportunity that we have, we, I look at our business and I just see, you know, today we have roughly 350 million customers in 190 countries. There is not a good reason why that number shouldn't be a billion in the next five years. How? So it starts with more frequent release of content, taking franchises that we have and growing them onto new platforms. And this is probably the single biggest change in the business in almost 30 years that I can recall, which is that up until very recently, five years ago, to play video games, you had to spend $300 for a PlayStation or an Xbox or $1,000 for a personal computer. And when games became available on phones, the market exploded. And the audience size went from a few hundred million to billions of potential consumers. And so 
we have these great franchises that have evolved over long periods of time. Many of those franchises, though, are not on phones yet. So we launched our game Call of Duty for the first time on a mobile phone in October. In a month, we signed up 100 million consumers. In a month. And so you realize that as these franchises go from consoles and PCs to phones, the growth in the audience is going to be staggering. How do you play Call of Duty on a phone? I'm just trying to think of like... It's really fun to play. You know, you're, it's, you know, like a typical, you know, good guys and bad guys, and you're running around playing good guys and bad guys, and it's really fun. Where is your growth potential, both in terms of who's playing and where they're playing in, in terms of geography? So, surprising statistic, but 50% of our customers are female. And as of when? As of about three years ago. Okay. And it's driven by mobile and games like Candy Crush. Um, <laughs> Here's some laughing out here. Yeah. But, um, and so if you think about, though, where the growth is going to come from, it's every region, every geography, getting those games uh, onto mobile, making sure that the communities, the, the, the social connections that are happening between players are extraordinary. And those social connections are deepening engagement. And it's unlike any other form of entertainment or even of sport, because if you look at sport, most spectator sports, you may have at one time played them. Basketball, but football. Basketball, football, or baseball is great examples, or even soccer. But they're not sports that you're going to play for the rest of your life. Video games, you're seeing multi-generational experience now where kids are playing with their parents. And I think that the audience size and the audience potential is enormous. And what's happened in esports is the same sense of purpose and belonging and meaning that you get from sport, you get in video games. But it's funny, I was doing a, a panel like, uh, like this, um, and I was having a hard time explaining to the audience what esports was. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting next to Alex Rodriguez, who was on the panel, who actually owns an Overwatch team in San Francisco, one of our teams. And I just thought, I need a, a visual to explain what esports actually is. And I said, Alex, could you stand up? And for those of you who know what Alex looks like, he's like the greatest human specimen. And, and he stood Six up. Six foot ten. And... I said, uh, in professional baseball, there are 1,200 of him. And truly, there are probably 10 in history who play like he played, look like he looks, are smart, articulate, and capable. 10. And then I went like this, and I said, look at me. There are a billion of me. <laughs> but I want that. I want the sense of belonging and purpose and meaning I want to be part of a team. I want to feel like I can actually have a sense of accomplishment. I want to be celebrated for that accomplishment. And so there are way more people, you know, many more people who can actually get that same joy, that same satisfaction from what we do than what you can see in traditional sport. It hadn't struck me until you just said something that generations are playing with each other. I mean, in my family, it's pinnacle that I play with my parents, my grandparents, my siblings, my cousins. This is the new pinnacle, right? Or is well, it sexier different. than that? <laughs> I think it's different, you know, because you're, you're looking at a screen. Unless you're playing something like Guitar Hero, which is more of a, a party or social game. But 
Yeah, you, you are looking at the screen, so it's very focused in a lot of instances. But the social experience is really getting much more um, significant. There's much more of engagement. You can have voice over IP, you can have video over IP today, so you can see and talk to the people you're playing. And I think you'll see one of the evolutions of gaming will be more games that can be played together. And you know, Guitar Hero is one of those unusual phenomena that really encourage people to play together in front of a television. Still ahead on the keynote, does Bobby Kotick want to take the fun out of video games? We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Becky Quick. You're listening to Bobby Kotick, Activision Blizzard CEO, on stage at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles. I sat down with him. When you think about your content growth, because you've got to constantly feed the beast, come up with new content, do you think of it as being extensions of these franchises that you've had out there for a very long time? Do you think of it as being new games that you're creating? Do you think of it as being acquisitions that you're making outside, like a Candy Crush or something along those lines? How, where do you think the main pipeline's going to be? Well, it's all of those things. I think you know, we've had a pretty disciplined history of, of company acquisitions, but we, we think that it, you can't even consider a game a franchise unless it's durable in perpetuity. So we think of our game franchises much more like baseball, football, and basketball, that you know, the only difference is the rules can change slightly year on year, and some of the dynamics of the game can change slightly. That's the entertainment component to it. But essentially, it's the game construct. So unleash your inner rock star, or unleash your inner soldier, or unleash your inner wizard. And so those, those are constructs that will last forever, and I think that they are very enduring ideals. And then we have to create new content that keeps people engaged. So we, we perpetuate our franchises, then we selectively introduce new ones, and then if there are categories of business that we don't think we have the skills to be able to create a game around, we may do an acquisition. But those are rare. I heard you say a few years ago, actually, this is more like 10 years ago, you said that it had only been a few years that you had been able to pick and choose when you put a game out. If a game's not ready, it's not going out. But you hadn't had that luxury for very many years at that point because to that point you were really trying to make sure you were meeting payroll, you had other things that are out there. It seems to me like the demand for content, the call for it from Wall Street and from your audience has only stepped up. Do you still feel like you have the luxury of saying we will sell no game before it's time? It's not even a luxury. It's an absolute discipline. My view is if you're an audience member, one of our players, and you've made the commitment that you make an hour or two hours per person per day in some instances, that our responsibility is to only deliver you great content. And it's an iterative medium where we can test that content. And so there isn't any good excuse for not delivering great content. And, you know, I, I've been doing this for 28 years. I will be doing it for many, many more years. And so my view is, uh, you know, we're not going to 
to make a quarter or to make a year, we're not going to compromise the quality of the experience or the responsibility to the player. Um, there had been a point where you were kind of demonized on the Internet by, by gamers. They looked at you as the business guy, and in their terms, that's a, kind of a curse word, um, an epithet. They looked at you as somebody who was focused on that. Um, but you're somebody who's actually had some time in the development. You're somebody who knows the technical side of these things. Do you think of yourself as a developer or as an entrepreneur? Well, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I, I think of myself as a creative person who has entrepreneurial DNA. You know, I, I think money-making is easy. I think the, you know, the principles that you have to establish for creativity and the environments that you need to create for inspiration, that's what differentiates us as a business. And so, you know, what, and it was a very unfortunate thing that it was a long time ago now, but what happened was I was at a conference and somebody asked me why I hired all these executives from Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. And just jokingly, I said, to take the fun out of making video games. But of course, I didn't mean it, and I was laughing. Everyone laughed at the joke, and not that many people did here, but, um, <laughs> but uh, the, you know, the vocal minority of people took it out of context, and that's what caused the demonization. But within the company, I think, it, you know, this company couldn't be successful without that rigid adherence to creating a culture that fosters inspiration and creativity. And that's the essence of the business. Still ahead on the keynote, how Bobby Kotick got his first capital investment from Atlantic City. This is a story you can't miss. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Becky Quick. You're listening to Bobby Kotick, Activision Blizzard CEO, on stage at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles. I sat down with him. You have had business leaders who have helped you along the way and have really been role models who have helped you in a great way. And I, Steve Wynn comes to mind. Um, how'd you meet him? What happened? Uh, Steve Wynn I met when I was 19. I, I didn't know who he was. I had never been to Las Vegas or Atlantic City. And I was sitting next to him at a charity fundraiser that a friend of mine had invited me to that I was pretty out of place at. I was a kid from Roslyn, Long Island at the South Fork Ranch in Dallas at the American Cancer Society's Cattle Baron Ball. 
And I found the whole thing amazingly amusing, but I was sitting next to this very charismatic guy, and he asked me what I did, and I, I told him the story. And I was a student, I was a sophomore in college, and I started a software company that made computers easier to use. And the next morning I saw him at breakfast, and he asked me a little bit more about the business, and then just out of the blue said, uh, so are you going back to Ann Arbor, where I was in school? And I said, no, I'm going to New York. And he said, well, why don't you come with me? I said, how does that work? <laughs> and he said, well, you come on my plane. And I'd never been on a private plane before. And I thought, well, it's got to be better than American Airlines. <laughs> and, um, of course, I'm focused on, like, can I get a refund for my ticket? <laughs> and so I said, okay. And I get on this plane, and we start talking. And he tells me the story of how he got started. And, you know, I don't know this a widely known story, but a mentor who was Howard Hughes's banker took a liking to him, loaned him money, and gave him the capital to buy Golden Nugget. And this is when he was in his 20s. And, but that mentor, a guy named Perry Thomas, said that uh, Steve had to repay him by investing in another young entrepreneur. So he's telling me this story, and I tell him about my business. He says, so I'd like to invest. And I said, you know, I, um, I have investors. In fact, that's why I'm going to New York. My father introduced me to these professional venture capitalists, and they're investing in my business. And so I'm very grateful, but uh, thank you. I, I'm, I'm set. And I, I couldn't stop thinking about him the next day because he's a very compelling guy. And it was an unusual balance of creativity, inspiration, and commercial instincts. And I had a friend who was a, whose, her father was a famous singer. And I saw her that next day, and I asked the father uh, about Steve Wynn. And he said, if you can be in business with that guy, you should. And so I went to my father's office the next morning with these professional venture capitalists, and I blew the deal with my father's friends. And my father, of course, thought I was an idiot. And probably in that moment, I was. But I called Steve, and I said, you know, I really, I, would, uh, I blew the deal with these investors. I'd love you to invest. And he said, where are you? And I told him, and he said, okay, car will be there in 15 minutes. So I go downstairs, and this limo pulls up, and these gorillas get out of the car, two of them, and said, get in. <laughs> and I thought, what is this? And my business partner, who was French, was my college roommate. We get in this car, and they drive us to the 61st Street heliport in Manhattan. And there's a golden nugget helicopter waiting, and the gorillas say, get in. <laughs> I thought, I've never been in a helicopter. It goes with my new private plane experience. I'm starting to like this. And my business partner says, uh, I'm, I, what are we doing? And I said, we're going to go meet this investor. So we go to Atlantic City. We get driven to the basement of a parking garage at the casino. We go in and we wait three hours. And he comes out in this fancy suit with his pinky ring and perfect hair. And he says, OK, fellas, what do we do? I said, well, you know, we make software that makes computers easier to use. And he said, how much is it going to be for a prototype? And I said, $300,000. And he writes a check out for $300,000. He says, all right, we're partners, a third, a third, a third. You guys do the work. I'll raise the money. Who's hungry? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, Mr. Wynn, we, you know, we have the contracts prepared for the investors so we can have them sent over. And he says, contracts, schmontracts, you're my family now. And he walks out. And I look at my college roommate, and I said, all right, we're in the basement of a parking garage in a casino, 
And this guy with a pinky ring just gave us $300,000 and said, we're his family now. <laughs> we're going to die. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was there every step of the way. And, and I've been very fortunate, as you know, to have great mentors. You know, Warren uh, Buffett has been a great mentor for a long time. And, you know, so I've been very, very lucky. And I think it's one of the things that has helped me most in building the business is having the access to extraordinary people and great business people who can give you great advice about how to grow and build your business. I, I think one of the conditions that Steve Wynn gave when, when he signed up with you was that you should pay it forward at some point, too. Um, I've never asked you this. Have you taken somebody under your wing, somebody who became your person that you pushed forward? Two, two people, and they both work for me. One is the president of our company who started out as uh, an assistant to me and then chief of staff and has been with the company for over a decade. And the second one who is now running our ads business, which is a complex business to run. And he, um, he was a guy I met. He was young and brilliant and inspired. And so two, two people at the company and then a few people outside of the company. You know, Bobby, what, what has been your experience as expectations for CEOs and for leadership, I think, have, have really ratcheted up? Um, I think in part because politicians aren't doing as much. I think people are turning to business leaders and expecting them to lead on a variety of subjects. And that could take you anywhere from Hong Kong and democracy to gaming additions and to beyond. How do you grow into that role? What do you do? Well, you start with, you know, our mission as a company is, you know, bring the world together through epic entertainment. And so, you know, that's a big mission. It has some similarities to, let's say, a Facebook, but, you know, we're not the operator of the world's town halls. We're the operator of the communities that allow you to have fun through the lens of a video game. And, um, you know, I, my responsibility is to make sure that our communities feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied and entertained. And so I don't, I don't, that, that doesn't convey to me the right to have a platform for a lot of political views, I don't think. I, I think my responsibility is to satisfy our audiences and our stakeholders, our employees, our shareholders. But um, there, I think there are some business people who are incredible examples of character and integrity and principle and have what you see are the great attributes of leadership. And I think that you know, they are incredibly inspiring for me. But I think you know, they, they do have the right to articulate views and visions and voices about government and policy and politics. And you know, I, love, I love engaging with those people. In an interview about 10 years ago, you said it was actually nine and a half years ago, just over that or just under that. You said that your hopes for, for games, for video games, would be that they would be as appealing as television. You thought that we'd get there in 10 years. It's almost 10 years later. Are we there yet? Oh, yeah, we're there. You know, I would say that if you think about um, the difference between active engagement in entertainment and passive engagement in entertainment in in traditional movies and television, a story unfolds, you suspend your disbelief, you create an emotional connection with the character on a screen. It is a very hard thing to do, but you know, it's, it doesn't require you to do anything other than believe what you see on the screen. 
our engagement is something entirely different. It requires you to be actively invested in something that is going to actually move your mind. And you are thinking constantly and being challenged and, you know, there's a competitive component to it. And so it is a different type of reward and satisfaction than what you get from story-based entertainment. But when you think about the, you know, the number of people that are playing, the hours of engagement, I think we're at a place now where it is as much a form of mainstream entertainment as film and television. What comes next? Well, I think, you know, for us, you know, pushing the envelope on innovation, creating new ways that, you know, fulfill our mission of bringing people together through epic entertainment. And there is so much that is happening now in technological change. You know, VR is in the very, very earliest stages of having impact. Today, it's a very small audience, cumbersome headsets, um, confusing business models. You know, the you know, whenever you have a, a delivery experience where 20% of the people who try it get nauseous, you're not really ready for mass market <laughs> yet. But we're getting there, and I think VR is one, AR is another. The social changes that have taken place in gaming where, you know, I can compete and, and communicate with someone in any country in the world any time of the day, and you start to see, like, the tolerance and the understanding that comes from being able to have these connections. We, we had an event in Anaheim, California, for 35,000 players, and I think there were 150 weddings of people who met online. And so, um, you know, I still think we're just scratching the surface of how you bring people together. We, we have 350 million customers today, but, you know, I, I see that number growing to a billion in the not-too-distant future. Bobby, it has been a pleasure, and thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was our conversation with Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick. Becky Quick interviewed him at CNBC's Evolve conference in Los Angeles, and she joins me now in the studio. Hey, Karen. Becky, what struck me about this conversation is what a great storyteller Bobby Kotick is. And I'm sure that's what makes him a great video game creator as well. He knows how to tell a story that keeps people interested. They don't get much better than Bobby Kotick. Uh, He tells a story and he knows exactly how to lure in the crowd. He knows how to crack you up. He knows how to get his points across. I mean, this guy is one of the best. And I've heard a lot of his stories before. He told stories this time that I had never heard before. And that's worth tuning in for. What also struck me is how seriously he takes video games. He's so committed to not putting out a game until it's up to his standards. And that could be really risky, right? Because if you wait too long, you could turn off some of your customers. But that doesn't appear to be the case with Activision because they are putting out blockbuster games year after year and consumers are responding year after year. Right. That's not something that happens by accident. You don't stay on top for a decade, two decades, three decades. This is a really fickle business, which is why you see people change over and then leadership change over so quickly. The only way that you can really uh, continue to stay is by having that sort of focus, uh, by having that sort of commitment, and by making sure that you have processes and and a culture that kind of keeps all that in place. Uh, That's what I thought was really interesting, just Bobby laying out the way that uh, that he he, he has this special secret sauce and this special recipe, and that's uh, the the secret you got let into on this conversation. Right. Well, Becky, thanks for being here, and thanks for leading that great conversation with Bobby Kotick. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. The Keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information on our live events and how you can join us in person, visit CNBCEvents.com. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.